Thank you, gentlemen. So appreciate that song. It has meant much to me through the years. And uh, did an excellent job this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 2. Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 2. Uh, for those of you who are uh, visiting or perhaps have been away, we have been working on a series. We did take a break last week from it, but we've been working on a series on uh, witnessing and winning others to Jesus uh, and entitled Blessing Our Community. And we've uh, been using the word bless to help us. And there, if you are interested, you don't have it, you haven't received it, it for whatever reason, in the back there are uh, uh, inserts uh, back there that will uh, tell you about um, B, which is begin with prayer, and uh, L, which is listen with care. And then you should have received today, I believe Dennis was handing them out, uh, eat, uh, E, which is eat together, eat together. And uh, we will continue uh, in the next two weeks, uh, next to serve, uh, and uh, finally it will be share our story, um, with, serve with love and share our story. So those are, that's where we're going to be headed, and we're, this morning we are, is eat together, eat together. One of the things that I have tried to do in this uh, series is I have tried to demonstrate uh, Christ doing these uh, and acting out these principles to not just, uh, you know, say, hey, these are good ideas or this is, you know, man's opinion or, or, or theory, but we've tried to demonstrate uh, that these are uh, the ways that Jesus, that Jesus himself, uh, one people so for the kingdom. Of course, begin with prayer. Jesus spent many, many times in prayer. Different Before he even went out to uh, start his ministry, he began in the praying in the desert and fasting. And many times he, uh, of prayer, uh, listening with care. How many times did he listen? Uh, Nicodemus, the woman at the well. Many, many examples. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I want to find this, this interesting. We'll begin reading verse 15. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners also, together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, he said unto his they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole hath no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Father, we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. One hymn writer said, Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee. And we want to we want to win others for you, and we want to do it your way. And we just ask that this morning that you'd help us, touch us one more time, anoint these lips of clay, for you alone are worthy, and you alone can help us. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. For the early church... Acts Church, before they ever had a church building to worship in, before they ever had a pulpit or even an altar, before they had pews and hymnals, 
pianos, before they had carpeting and organ music and all these things that we have come to associate with church, before they had those things, they had homes and open doors and tables. The early church, probably when Peter preached, there was at least, they figured, 15 nationalities that were there. And do you know what's interesting about mixing nationalities and having diversity? Is the more diversity you have, the more conflict you have. Now, I'm not talking against diversity this morning. I believe diversity is important. We're actually having another debate, another debate on the value of diversity. If you've been following in the news, uh, uh, Ivy League schools are discriminating against Asian students in order to keep their ratios correct. I think the Ivy League schools, they said, would be like 45% Asian if they kept just uh, the highest scores, if that's all they cared about. And so the Asian community is saying they're being discriminated against. And the colleges, the Ivy League schools are saying, no, we're, we're trying to get a, a diverse uh, culture here. And so it's just an interesting thing how when you bring in diversity, you bring in conflict. That conflict can be good. Because it brings about better, uh, uh, better decisions and better... Uh, uh, results, better choices are made sometimes as a result of the conflict. But the early church, Jews and Gentiles, worshiping side by side. Slaves and slave owners worshiping side by side. Men and women worshiping side by side. Now you think, well, what What's, the, what's with that? What do you mean, what's with men and women? Used to be in the temple, there was a court for uh, Jewish men and a court for women to worship in, and they didn't worship together. Now they're worshiping together, contrary to their custom. Children underfoot. It's totally different isn't it? The early church from temple worship. So very different. And can I say sadly, so very different from how we worship. We have done our very best to go back to temple worship with the way we worship. We have black churches and white churches. Fortunately, we do allow women and men to sit together and worship together. We haven't gone that radical. But there's been times in our church history where we've done that. Men on one side and women and children on the other. Some of our Bible schools were doing it at least in my day. I don't know if they're still doing it that way. But we've done everything we can to go back to the old ways and not follow the example of our early church. Now let me say, before I get too far into this, I'm not preaching against having a church building. I love our church building. But we have to be careful. I, I, I want to say this. We should be careful that we don't fall in love with it so much so that when the day comes, and I say when, not if, because I, I, I see it coming, we're going to lose our tax-exempt uh, status. Christianity is going to be, have, to, have to, we're just not going to be accepted anymore. And we may have to go back to the early church model. And that may be for our benefit rather than our harm, as much as we might think it. But what I want to talk to us about and what I feel like God would have us to listen and say to us, we 
have got to be people who worship around tables again. Worship around tables again. When you bring in a, a, a person into the church, a, a new person, they, they're, they're coming, they're, they're, not, they're not a Christian, they're, they come in, do you know what we do? We welcome them, glad to have you, and, and they sit down in their pew all by themselves, and they listen to the service, and there's one voice they hear, which is mine, and I talk for only 15 minutes, right? <laughs> It feels only like 15 minutes, right? Yeah, we'll go with that. But I, I talk. It's my voice they hear. And then we leave and hopefully we shake hands with them and they walk out the door and that's their impression of our church. What do they take away from it? Whether or not we were friendly before church or after church. And let's just be honest, after church, maybe we're a little bit friendly, but a lot of times, especially on a Sunday morning, preacher's gone too long and you want to get home before that roast burns. Right? And so they, so we head out. And here's the question. Did they ever really belong? Do they really belong here? I want to I ask you a question, and I, I would like you to raise your hand. How many here had Christian parents? Vast majority of us. You came to church already belonging the first day you ever came to church. You already belonged. Because your parents belonged to the church, and the day you came, the first day that you were in church, you don't remember it, but all the ladies came a huddling over you. Oh, isn't he so cute? Oh, isn't she as pretty as a picture? Cute as a button. Oh, and, and you were passed around to all the ladies. They all got to hold you. And oh, it was so exciting. You belonged day one. That church was your church. Whether it was this one or another one, you came already belonging to it. But those that didn't have Christian parents, those of us that came on vans and buses, those of us who were saved perhaps in our adult years, when you first walked into a church, did you belong? You, no matter how much they told you you did, when you came, you were amongst people you didn't know. People who were strangers. Maybe you knew a few people. Maybe you knew the. Maybe you knew some people that invited you there. Maybe for whatever reason. But for the most part, when you first walked into that church, you didn't know whether you fit in or not. You didn't know. Oh, they acted. I hope they acted like you belonged. But you're not sure whether they really meant it or not. And you're not really sure about their motives. And you're not really sure if this is the right place. And, and hopefully the preacher preached okay. And hopefully the music, what they sang like you did this morning, where you sounded like you meant what you sang about. There's some Sundays I'm not convinced that you really believed what you were singing. But to the, this morning you did a really good job. I, I, you, you, you either really believed it this morning or you're a bunch of hypocrites. I'm really good at it. <laughs> No, this, mor this morning there was, there was, there was just a, a good spirit in our worship. I enjoyed our worship this morning. I didn't Sometimes it takes two or three songs before you even feel like you get into worship. I felt like we, we were in worship right when we started, at least for me. Maybe you didn't feel that this morning, but I certainly did. Just appreciated the spirit this morning. But you can sense God's presence and the preacher can preach fine. But unless you belong, you won't stay. They've done research, and here's what they found. 
a person may visit a church because of the pastor, but they stay with the people. They stay because of the people. What we're talking about this morning has a word. It's called hospitality. In fact, it's a spiritual gift. And if I ask, and I'm not going to ask, who has spiritual or, or hospitality, you know what I'd guess? I'd guess there'd be very few hands that would go up. And the reason you would, don't know whether you've had that gift or not is because you've never tried to exercise it or not. In fact, may I suggest to us this morning that the gift of hospitality is perhaps the one that has been most neglected within our churches. The most neglected. There's the gift we will have anointing services. We, we've had them here. We have them at IHC. We believe in healing, and that's a bit major part of what we do. We, uh, we believe in the gift of teaching. We have Sunday school teachers, and we even put people up that, not here I hope, but, but we've put people up that have no ability to teach. Just maybe they'll, maybe they'll find out that God will give it to them as they're teaching. I don't know. We value the gifts of the Spirit, all of them, except for hospitality. When I say we, having us having that gift. I don't know anybody who prayed, Lord, give me the gift of hospitality. I, I'm, I'm here for it. I've heard people pray for the gift of healing. I've heard of people ask for the gift of, of teaching and preaching. But I, I don't know of anybody who's ever said, Lord, I'd just really like to have the gift of hospitality. Do you know what else is difficult in this, as I'm preaching about this? God gives it as a command that we are supposed to be hospitable. It's a command of Scripture. I wonder how many of us, if we gave an account to the Lord this morning, and He asked us, on my command hospitality you know what? I don't know what happened I don't know when it happened there was a time when the church was all about hospitality there was a time and covered wagons and so times where they would all gather together they would have Sunday morning service and everybody brought their meals with them to church, and they would eat it on the grounds. And if someone lacked, they would just share, come on over to our, come over to our wagon, enjoy the meal with us. That was a common thing. When camp meetings first started, this is going to be a shock to some of you, just stay seated, because nobody faint. They didn't provide cooks. There were no cooks and no kitchens when camp meetings first started. You brought your own food with you. And you had your little campfire. And if there were those that had need, you just said, come on over to our campfire and have a meal. Come enjoy what we have to offer. And then we got, you know, a little better off. We got cars and... and uh, so you know what we used to do? We used to make Sunday our day of hospitality. That was the day that the family all got... You didn't have this, you know, Easter and Thanksgiving when all the family got together. All the family got together every Sunday. Some of you older ones can remember this, I hope. That Sunday was a time where the family always got together and you invited people over. But do you know what's happened? Technology has come, and we are busier than ever. And do you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't know why that is. 
Because now we have dishwashers, and we don't have to wash all the dishes. You've got, we've got ovens and stoves. We don't have to cook over an open fire. We have washing machines and dryers. You're not on the old scrub board. You think about it, we should have more time. In fact, when they were selling these things, when they were new, the new vacuum cleaners, the new washer, they always said, this is going to save you time. Look at the old advertisements. They don't say that anymore. Do you know why they don't say that anymore? Because we take whatever time we have and we fill it with more stuff. If God gave us 28 hours in a day, we would fill that extra four hours not with leisure, not with, not with uh, 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 spending it serving God. We would serve, do more work. We would. Many of us would find things to do. And maybe it would be entertainment, but not leisure. I think there's a difference between entertainment and leisure. Technology has come to the place where we no longer communicate well with each other and have relationships. We get this out. You know, it's, it's amazing to me to go to, a re you go to a restaurant and people are sitting across from each other and they're, they're doing this stuff. Now, I understand. I'm a pastor. And there are times that I do this during the meal at, at a restaurant if I get, uh, if one of you all text and say you, you, you need to know something. But there I'll be there, honest, there are sometimes your text and your phone call doesn't get answered just because it's mealtime. I'll call you back in 15, 20 minutes whenever the meal ends. If it's important, you'll leave a message. I might, if you'd leave a text, I might, or a message, I'll probably just check it to see if it is an emergency and I'll call you right back. But there have been many, many, many times that I've just said, you know what, it'll, it'll take care of itself. It can wait for 15, 20 minutes. We've, we've never been so connected. There was a many, there, not too many years ago, you called and you didn't even have an answering machine to leave your message. I remember the phone would ring and my mom would be in a panic to hurry and get to the phone because if it the phone before it stopped ringing. She didn't know who it was who called. There was no caller ID. There was no voicemail. There was none of these things. And and you know what? There was times that you would, in an emergency, you would be calling, and you you would they wouldn't be there. You wouldn't know who, how to get a hold of them, and you could leave them a message that it was an emergency. Technology is wonderful. But what it has done is it has violated our relationships. I'm going to step on some toes this morning. We're so connected to this that not only does it invade our, our family times, but it invades our church time. I'm not saying there's never a time to slip out of the church to answer a phone call because sometimes there's some family emergencies. There have been times that people have even come to me and said, I've got a situation. I, I, I want you to know I have it on silence, but I may have to step out to answer a phone call. That's fine. But you know what amazes? I mean, I have sat in a service where people have answered their phone still about here in the aisle and that they're talking on it. I'm in church. I'll, I'll talk to you. right. And they're talking right out loud while the preaching is going on. Call them back in 10 seconds. I can't let them wait. I can't. I can't. I have this. Really? The Bible tells us to grieve not the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if this thing has grieved the Holy Spirit more times than, than it ought to. I'm not saying you can't bring yourself unto church. Okay? I'm not trying to say that. What I'm talking about is that God has called us to fellowship and to relationship. And I know... I know some of you think better and, and some of you can pay attention better if you're doing something on it. And I'm not, whatever. 
I'm not trying to stand in your way. I've, in fact, I've, my children, we've told them, if, if you need to doodle while the preaching's going on, you're allowed to doodle. Because some people listen better while doing something. And that's fine. But are we checking scores? Are we checking Facebook? Are we, you know, uh, NFL season's coming up and the preacher's going long and the, the game started. I've got to find out if the Chiefs scored first or not. Oh, I know. I'm preachers, you're supposed to be preaching on eating together. This is why eating together is important. Because when we sit around a table, it's a lot easier to put this away than it is even in our churches. It's a lot easier for us when we're sitting around the table to be wholly present. Wholly present. Why did Jesus come? He said he came to seek and save that which was lost. He said that right in our passage this morning. But do you know what's interesting? Scholars say Jesus ate and drank his way through the Gospels. I don't know if Jesus, as a spirit, uh, when he was in heaven, never ate, and he got here like, this is awesome. I believe, I believe God wants us to enjoy food. He gave us 10,000 taste buds. And I'm convinced, you know, we're talking, we've been talking about marriage and love languages and different things. And there, you know, I think my love language, Brother Doyle, is food. I don't like to cook it, but I certainly love to eat it. I'd love to eat food. And you can tell, and I've been trying to work on it. But, I mean, you ask me, I think last year, just about this time, it was it was right. It was a Sunday after VBS. I came and I was doing the trial sermon, and and it was Sunday night, and you all wanted to ask me questions. Never had that happen before like that. But someone asked me my favorite restaurant, and if I remember correctly, my words were Trisha's Kitchen. That's my favorite restaurant. I love to eat my wife's cooking when she's not cooking healthy. <laughs> I tell her it tastes better because it's made with love. I just, I just really do. I just think that my wife's cooking is the best cooking in the world when she's not cooking healthy. When she's cooking healthy, I'll just about eat anything that's not healthy at that point. But what I'm trying to help us to understand is that when we are eating together, acceptance to whoever we're eating with. You don't sit at a table with a stranger very often. When's the last time you've walked into a restaurant, you saw someone eating alone, and you sat down across from them and said, hey, do you mind if I sit with you? We don't do that very often, do we? Or worse, maybe you're sitting there with your wife or your husband and, and someone is, is, uh, is going to come in, sit down, and, and you say, hey, you want to come sit with us? We don't do that, do we? Maybe we should. But you know what we do? We sit with the people we accept. And this is why the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus, eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. It's because Jesus was communicating, I accept publicans and sinners. And this, this alone was worthy of death because he accepted scoundrels. He accepted tax collectors. When's the last time you sat down and had a meal with an IRS agent? <laughs> When's the last time that you've 
sat down and had a meal with someone you weren't related to that was a terrible sinner. Do you know what's sad? If we're just going to be honest, we're just talking here this morning. I don't know that this is preaching. I'm just trying to talk to us this morning because this is an area that we just don't do a great job with. Next time someone you're not related to that you sat down and had a meal with who's a Christian. We don't do it very often. Every once in a great while, we'll have someone over. You know what we communicate when we don't when we don't have people at our tables? We communicate you're not accepted. You're not a part of us. When we came as your pastor, we came August the first, went right into camp. And there were those that made a point to come and sit with us as, as we were at camp meeting and talk with us. And that was very meaningful that we did not have to eat all of our meals alone just as a family, as strangers at camp. May I suggest, may I recommend that when you go to camp that you find some people to sit with that you don't always sit with, maybe some new people, people you don't recognize, and just let them know that they're accepted and welcome at camp. It means a lot to be accepted. And when October came around, it was Pastor Appreciation Month, and we hadn't even been your pastor long enough to, for you to even know whether you liked us or not. But many, many, many of you had us over for meals, or took us out to eat, and you communicated, we accept you as, your past, as our pastor. And that meant a lot to us. It really, truly did. It meant a lot to us that so many said, hey, we want to take you out. Hey, we, we'd like to have you over to our house. And we were figuring up almost every single family has asked for a meal or provided a meal or done something that way here. I just want to thank you. It's a lot to us. really, truly has. Because it communicates we accept you. And when we stop having people over, when we avoid certain people, we communicate you're not accepted. When we don't want to have someone over, and we're purposely, you know, we, maybe it's purposeful, maybe it's not, but we are communicating you're not important to me. But when we have someone over, you know what, it's a lot of work to have someone over. You have to have it clean. You have to have it. You have to have something that that they like. Got to worry about diets, all these things, and it's a lot of effort to have someone over. It really is. And do you know we use the excuse we don't have time. We're so busy. Do you know I want to I, I want to say this because we don't have time. It makes it that more valuable. And necessary. Because I told you, we're already disconnected. Our technology has made us so disconnected. I've taken young people on trips and vans and going someplace, and they're sitting side by side texting each other. They can't turn and have a conversation with each other. That's why I think it's important. At mealtimes, supper to eat together as a family. We're saying we communicate acceptance, but we're also teaching them how to look at each other and talk. And, I, and there's a lot of reasons for it, but there's, even, there's a big push amongst our younger generation that they want to be able to work from home. If they have jobs where they can work from home, they just don't want to deal with people at the office. We need, we need the table brought back into our worship. I didn't say our sanctuary, our worship. Because it communicates you're accepted and you're part of us and you're important to me. And when you have a meal with your kids and you don't answer the phone, when you don't 
allow the distractions of life to rip that away from you. You're communicating to your kids. You're important to us. And we want to know what you have to say. We are communicating acceptance and value. And if it's important for us to do it with our kids, how much more is it important for us to do it to those who don't even know Christ? This is how Christ spread the gospel. Do you know 92% of the words that Jesus said in the Bible were not said in temple or synagogue? 92% of the words in red were not spoken in a church-type service. And we expect to win the world by having 100% of the words that we would speak to them to be in the confines of these four walls. We're not doing it the way that Jesus did it. It communicates value. You're important to me. table is important in worship. We have to eat. We, it's important for us to eat together, not only because it, it, it communicates value and acceptance, but because it also gives us a place for communion. It allows us this opportunity to talk. As I said, I am, I'm the only one who speaks in church. You hear my voice. But what if they have questions? We don't encourage people to speak up and ask questions. Had it happen, it's neat. I don't mind it too much. Sometimes it'll mess up my train of thought. But I, I, I've preached in places where they've asked questions in the middle of the service, especially in mission-type places. They don't, they don't know any better. But around the table, there isn't any of that, is there? Everyone gets an equal voice. Everyone has their say at around the table. I hope it was that way at your home, that, that dad wasn't the only one who was allowed to say his, his day, but everybody was allowed to talk about what was important to them. That the table was an was a evening level playing field where everyone holds value and everybody gets an opportunity to share what's on their heart. And when we invite people who aren't a part of us to our tables, we are saying not only are you valuable, but I want you to know that we want to hear what you have to say. We want to know your questions. We want to know your concerns. We want to know your battles and your burdens. We spoke about listening with care. You know, most of the time that we listen is around a table. You think about your workplace uh, and how often is it around the lunch hour that people talk. How often is it that lunchtime at work is the time for communicating? I mean, you might talk other times, but it's that lunchtime that, that allows you don't have to talk about work. You don't have to be productive. You just can communicate. When Jesus was going to the cross, it's his last supper. And he wanted to communicate with them about what the meaning behind the cross was. He preached them a sermon. He gave them a meal. He gave them a meal. There is a, a pattern. You'll see this in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 and also here at the institution of the Lord's Supper. There's a blessing, a breaking, and a giving. Remember feeding of the 5,000, the boy's lunch, says that he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples to give out to the people. What does it say there? In the Last Supper, what does it say? Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it. This is the message of the gospel. Is God takes our lives and he blesses it with salvation. 
He blesses us uh, with his love and his grace and his acceptance. And then he breaks us so that we can become more like him. Just as his body was broken for us, we become broken and become moldable and, and, and in his hand, pliable, so that he can use us. And, so he, and there's the breaking. And then what does he do? He sends us out. He gives us out. We're supposed to be a blessing to those around us. The message of the gospel was that Jesus came and the Father blessed him at his baptism. And he was broken on the cross. He was given for our sins and our transgression. This repeated pattern of the gospel of blessing, breaking, and giving is repeated every time we sit around the table and we ask God to bless this food and we break it and we give it to, each, uh, to those that are at the table. We are communicating, we are living the metaphor of the gospel that Jesus gave us. It's communion. That's why they call it communion. I know we don't practice communion here. You just forgive me for a moment for, for, for drilling down a little bit here. But I think there's a pattern here that whether we, whether we practice church communion or not, there's a, this is really important for us to understand. We must bless our brothers and sisters. We must bless this, our neighbors and, our, and, and those that are, are perhaps not living the way that they should. We need to bless them. We, how do we bless them? We bless them with our food. We bless them with our fellowship. We bless them with communion. We pray that they become broken, that they realize they're, that they're sinners and that they need God. And we give them salvation. Not us in our own strength, but we give them because Christ has spoken and given himself that we can offer them what God has done for us. The metaphor... The metaphor here is so powerful. A blessing, breaking, and giving. And every time we have a meal together, isn't that exactly how we do it? We bless the food. We break it. We, we, we pull it out of this dish and, and we cut this piece of turkey or chicken off or ham we break the, the meal up and we give it to all that have come. Every single time we invite someone who is not one of us, even if we never get a chance to talk about the gospel, we get to live out the metaphor of the gospel. That's why I believe that Satan has attacked the family meal like he has and made us so busy and made us so preoccupied with our phones and with, our, with our, all that we would want to do is he recognizes that every time that we have a meal together, it's an opportunity for us to live out the metaphor of the gospel. Because I never thought about it that way before. It doesn't always have to be that we think it through for it to get into our hearts. We don't always have to understand it and have it, have it, have it on the, uh, the forefront of our mind. But when we are there gathered together, we're giving value and we're communicating and we're blessing. You know, Jesus said... When you invite people into your home, when you invite your rich neighbors, when you invite family, they can have you back. You can be rewarded in this world. But he says when you invite the poor and you invite the blind and the lame, and I don't remember all the, all the list there, but Jesus says that you'll be rewarded in heaven because they cannot repay you in this life. When's the last time we've had somebody at our table that could never repay us? There's going to be a, I don't understand the rewards of heaven. I'll just be honest with you. I haven't got it all figured out. I think just getting to heaven is going to be wonderful. 
But Jesus makes a big deal about these rewards in several places in the Gospels. He's over and over talking about these rewards. And I think this, when we get there, we're going to want them. I don't, may, that might sound like uh, blasphemy to you. We're not going to want anything in heaven. I think we're going to want whatever it is because Jesus keeps making a big deal about these rewards. And if Jesus thinks these things are a big deal, even though we've kind of minimized them in this world, I really think there's going to cut, when we get to that world, we're going to wish that we would have emphasized that a little more. How many of us are going to be rewarded in heaven because we have given to those who could not repay us? Invited them around the table. Given them acceptance. Given them communion. and Given them blessing. Not to condemn them, but so that they know they're a part of us. I think it was Brother Gary who, who yesterday said in the board meeting, he said, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if when someone came to visit, they would leave with two, three, four uh, invitations to, for a meal? He's not wrong. You talk about acceptance. You're not going to get that in every church. Why would they choose our church over the other church? That's something we always have to have before us, especially as we're talking about outreach. Why would they, There's lots of churches in Altamont. You've got more churches per capita than any other place I know. How, why would they choose us? I just looked at the clock for the first time. That's not good. I thought we were going to be short-winded this morning. <laughs> They're going to choose us because they feel accepted here. And they will reject us because they feel rejected here. Or not feel any different than any other place they've ever tried. And the way a person feels accepted is around the table. It really is. We need more tables in our worship. We need more fellowship. And yes, I'm, yes, I... I we need the fellowship hall. That, I'm thankful that God's given us the fellowship hall. But in order for the fellowship hall to even serve its purpose, we've got to have, invite the people that are visitors to our table or sit down with them at their table. May I suggest to you this morning, and maybe you might think this is blasphemous, but I believe it's true. I believe the table is a holy altar. I truly believe it's a holy altar where we offer the sacrifice of what God has blessed us with to the others and a place where communion and relationships are built. In fact, I really believe that the altar is very symbolic of our tables. Didn't, didn't they put the showbread on the altar? I don't think that was by accident. I don't think the altar, the sacrifice of, of the lambs, you know that for the peace offering, you would bring your fellows, you'd bring your neighbors in, and, and part of it went to the priest, but part of it went to those of your neighbors and others. You shared that peace offering. You'd share that together. I don't think it's by accident that the altars in Scripture had food on it. It isn't because God was hungry. In fact, he said, if I was hungry, I would not tell thee. I believe our altars and our tables are pretty much the same thing. I think they're metaphors for each other. And until we you know, we can be people of the altar. You know, we we, I've heard people criticize churches that have taken the altar out, but we've taken the table out of our worship. And if we are going to be people that other people want to visit and be a part of this church, 
I really believe we're going to have to do some business around the table. I really do. Hospitality is the heart. I think it's one of the hardest things because it takes so much time and effort. I think it's a lot of work. I think it's a lot of hassle. But this is what I will say. I believe it's worth it. I believe it's worth it. Because I believe it's there. Let me just tell you, when I was a young person, I was riding the church van. And we were just going to church, Sunday school and church. And God worked things out, and a family moved into my community, and they offered to start taking us to church. And they decided one Sunday that they would like to have us over for a meal. They said, we'd like to have you. What do you want? We were, I don't know how old I was, 13, 14 years old, maybe. 15 at the most, but I don't think I was quite that old. And there wasn't a lot of food in our house. There wasn't a lot of table time. And I just remember, wanted tacos. You say, that's not very fancy. In fact, she commented, you don't want steak? You don't want, just want tacos. And through the years, they had us over at their table many, many times. And I believe with all my heart that their table was the altar that melted my heart. I believe that with all my heart. And if it wasn't for their table, I don't think I'd be saved. And I would just encourage us, if we're going to go out and to seek the lost, we're going to have to not compel them into our church, but first we're going to have to invite them to our table. If they are invited to our table, maybe one day they'll want to know about our God and our church. Maybe we have it backwards. Maybe we're inviting them to the church too soon. And maybe first we need to invite them to the table. You say, I can't invite in my house. Isn't the right? It can be a restaurant. Say, I, don't, I, I can't do anything fancy. I'm not a good cook. Order pizza. Don't allow excuses to keep us from doing what God has commanded and what Jesus was the example of. I've, I've preached long this morning. I apologize. I really do. But I really feel like this is the, an air, the, one of the very first forms of ministry. I believe it was in near and dear to Jesus' heart. I went through, I tried to count all the times in the Gospels that I could find where Jesus ate a meal. I found 11 meals. That Jesus, different meals that Jesus ate in the scriptures. I think that's a lot of meals. and Many of them were repeated in all the Gospels. Jesus ate and drank his way through the Gospels so that he might win sinners. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like him. Let's stand together.